As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a podcaster. I know I'd go from rags to To me, talking about legacy was better than being president of the United States. Ever since I first stumbled upon Legacy Breakfast, everyday eternal leaving a legacy, I knew I wanted to be a part of them. It was there I belonged. To me, it felt like being somebody in a format full of, well, better players than me. Podcasters weren't like grinders. They'd play whatever they want, even Enchantress. In tournaments where they played Russian suppression fields, known what evil called a judge, they just complain on the source. Zach Clark ran Hipsters of the Coast and wanted to start a podcast. I jumped at the chance. We eventually ran into an added Phil, who was the wild card in a group of Chalk Miracles players. Phil might have played slow, but that's because he'd have to answer to nobody. He was always doing curls, and most opponents were too intimidated. For a while, things were going great. We'd get some awesome interviews, do hilarious bits, like taking gangster rap and new metal songs from the 90s and reworking the lyrics to be about legacy. We'd play horrible brews and convince our listeners we somehow knew what we were doing. One time, Phil even played a forest on the sideboard of his Esper deck just to get the Twitter sphere speculating about what insane tech he had come up with. It was great, but Wizards had other plans. Wizards was cutting every link between them and a playable and interesting game. When they released War of the Spark and Modern Horizons, it took months to unfreeze the legacy metagame. Oko? What a fucking nightmare. I couldn't believe I could hate a card more than True Name Nemesis. I secretly kinda liked Underworld Breach, but I knew I was wrong. Of course, I just started arguments for the hell of it. Luckily, so was everyone else. And the worst I ever saw was when they came out with Companions. I mean, how did this thing get past anyone with even the slightest idea of how the game works? It was completely ridiculous. Things were never quite the same after that. The hardest thing for me was leaving the life. I still love the life. We were treated like Twitch stars with a healthy spinal column few embarrassing videos where we pissed in a Taco Bell cup or said a slur or something. We need to borrow cards to get a better seat. We had it all just for the asking. gonna have to give my opinion on how I could do better than the people who design, test, build decks for, and play magic, just to myself. I'm an average nobody, I get to live the rest of my life like a schnuck.
Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Nathan Goley and Phil Blackman. Nate, Phil, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. My mother-in-law has COVID. So, so not pretty good. <laughs> so, so objectively I not had good. the vaccine. Medium, I had the vaccine. Medium bad? I had the vaccine. <laughs> it's, it's just so tense, you know, with the kids and everything. Yeah. They're like, is it going to be really bad? And I'm sort of like, I don't know. So, well... Uh, I guess the time has come for me to uh, to uh, make this announcement that this is going to be my last show, at least my last regular show, because what is it, episode 195? So you might see me back in five episodes as part of the extravaganza Zach is planning, but um, yeah, this is going to be my last uh, regular episode of the podcast. Um, it's a decision that I made, you know, in the last couple of weeks, uh, just sort of at a place in my life where doing a podcast regularly about, you know, mostly legacy is just not something that I feel that I can deliver at a high level. And I don't want, and I, you know, want Zach and Phil to be able to, you know, move on and expand without me and leaving, you know, the podcast with them, you know, with with them being very capable of, of keeping it going. And, uh, you know, I'm not quitting magic. I'm not even quitting legacy or anything like that. I'm not selling out. I'm not going to stop playing today or even take a break. I've got a, a middle school league and I've got a revised 40 league. So I've at least committed to those. Um, but yeah, it's just time time for me to uh, sort of step down from the magic podcasting game, such as it were. So with uh, so what we're going to do, I guess, is let Zach and Phil give me an exit interview. Yeah, just I mean, ask me literally anything that I haven't talked about. I can't uh, say is, we're not we're not upset and saddened to find out that you're leaving. Uh, you know that you you were the second person to be on this cast. Yep. You know uh, th- this initially was just a thing that everyone told me not to do uh, was to start a podcast while I was working on articles for Hips of the Coast, and then I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to do it, and. Uh, Initially, the idea was to just interview random people uh, about their decks, and uh, you were the first person to interview. And I was like, we had such a good chemistry doing that. I was like, we should just keep doing this as as like co-hosts. Yeah, and it was funny because I, I, I thinking about how I felt at that time about Magic and Legacy, especially, and especially in the knowing that I was going to be leaving New York and wanting to have that connection back, you know. It's, you know, interesting that it's gotten to this point, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I remember when you were talking about the projects and I was like, I, I, I want to do this. Like, I want to be on it with you. And we did, you know, so many, so many of them. And then I think, I forget what happened exactly where I couldn't make an episode and you got Phil to fill in. And I was like, just, you can just, we can just bring him on, you know? But people were like, oh, are you met? I remember people at the time being like, oh, are you being replaced? And I'm like, no, like, I think Phil's awesome. So, like, I, I remember that was episode like 77. Yeah. Something, was... something like that. And uh, I remember I uh, I had just messaged Zach because he did he did an episode by himself where he was like, I'm, <laughs> oh I'm, my God. He's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Uh, we're, we're putting up the content. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just hear the standings. And I was, and I had, I, I had listened to you. I had listened to the podcast for, you know, how, like, you know, the, all of it. Yeah. You know, however long it was going. And I, I reached out to Zach and I was like, dude, don't ever put yourself through that again. Like, just give me a call. <laughs> so tough. 
And that so, was and then, uh, the only the only tougher episode I think for me than that one was the one where my audio cut out and uh, you got we all recorded audio separately. My audio cut out. And I had to go back <laughs> right. and fill in the audio for my thing by listening to the podcast and trying to remember what I said. So I'd la- I had to laugh in like weird places and stuff. It was crazy. That- That's just good podcast building. <laughs> That's ridiculous. What I think is amazing about that is um, that like, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, like magic content creation is, is such a vast world with a lot of people doing a lot of different things. And to just get to that like level of like putting together something that you put out there is a lot of work, you know. And the yeah. fact that you did that is insane to me. Like I would what, never, like to do. You're talking to, about like to dub creating, to dub in your oh. own audio. Like I've 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 done the thing where I've tried to like mix the audio right, and sometimes like something will be really stubborn, and I'll have to like amplify each individual sound wave. And just that is nightmarish. I can't imagine trying to actually talk. Yeah, but yeah. I, I had to just sit there and listen. Like, the thing is, is I have a weird, let's not make this into a talent Zach Clark has video, but uh, I have this weird thing where, like, I can remember a conversation almost completely as long as it's played in front of me. <laughs> so, like, while I was just like, oh, yeah, I know what I said here. And, like, I was able to just can pretend like I was having a conversation with you guys again, which was insane but uh, you know, you guys said you listened to it, and nobody, nobody really had any complaints about what what it sounded like. So that's crazy to me, but it worked out, I guess. It's like when you watch a Twitch chat replay, and uh, you don't, you're watching a Twitch replay, and you start posting in the chat, and then you realize it's a replay. Yeah, you're like, oh wait, they're not. This is, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I didn't say this at the time. So, uh, so Nate, um, let's, let's let's start this interview off. Uh, I, got, I got a question to start yeah. things off. Okay. Okay, Nate, why, what is your favorite legacy deck of all time and why is it Terminus? <laughs> My favorite legacy deck of all time is, well, there's what, like two really credible options. I feel like we should have had whiteboards. Uh, Phil and I should have had whiteboards to like answer these questions for you and then like. Yeah, like, we could have uh, done like the dating game where you yeah, guess. Or uh, what was the newlywed game? Yeah. I think my favorite legacy deck of all time is Zombardment, Zombie Bombardment, the original version that came out with Dark Ascension. That was the deck that got me to play Legacy. And so it's almost kind of trite to pick it. I've played a lot of decks that are that I enjoy. One of the interesting things about that deck specifically, though, that might be the reason it stands out, is that... It, <laughs> in sort of a weird like foreshadowing way where you mentioned Terminus a second ago, it really had that like three months where you're like, oh my God, this might actually work. And then they released Terminus. And then suddenly that's not going to work anymore, yeah. you know? <laughs> and uh, I think that's, uh, but so like in a way it's like very frozen in time. Obviously there's like zombie engines that have still sort of cropped up with like the Hogak deck when Hogak was printed and things like that. But Nothing's ever gonna just no one nothing's ever gonna sort of top the fact that that deck that Sam Black put together was just so like just perfectly tuned so quickly for you know what was going on in Legacy at the time that it worked. And actually, I played that deck, it was later in the year after Terminus came out, and even after Deathrite Shaman came out, because it was in the I had put Deathrite Shaman in the deck. That was the 
tournament that Zach and I went to at uh, it was Star City, New Jersey. It was a Star oh, City. Oh yeah, the, I think that was the, the first like, time. East Brunswick, uh, like uh, industrial parking lot place, right? Yeah, that was the first time we had all sort of gone from the well that that I had gone with you guys, you know, you and Charles and Lee and Tim and Tony and everyone had sort of like all joined to go to this. Uh, I this think event. that was my first big legacy event. I was still on Merfolk at the time. Yeah, you were play, you were playing Merfolk. I played Zombie Bombardment. Chuck, uh, Chuck. I don't call him. We don't call him Chuck, do we? Charles. Chuck. Charles made top eight. Did he make top eight with Death and Taxes, or he just? Like, he did. He did very well with Death and yeah. Taxes. I can't remember if he made top eight or not. He made he made uh, top eight or something. He did very well because I remember we left before him and we're watching it in the car. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, well, I wasn't because I was. I think I was driving. You were driving. Yeah, I had a car, so now so suddenly I had friends in New York. Um, <laughs> But uh, of course, uh, Tony forgot to bring his deck, so we assembled the deck for him on site with what we had in on us. Oh my god, I forgot and, about that. And he played uh, Veteran Explorer Birthing Pod, except like there were people like building the deck, and then there was like, let's make the sideboard. And I and I put two Graph Digger's cages in the sideboard of his Birthing Pod deck because I was not thinking. I put two graphic stages in the, in the sideboard of his Cabal Therapy birthing pod deck. So good job by me. So I remember he like was three and oh, and he's like, who put these stupid graph diggers cages in the sideboard? I can never bring them in. <laughs> so that's like the first time. But then like, you know, I think we started, we had the regular crowd at 20 sided store after that for a while. Yep. And, uh, those were good times. That was, uh, I want to say that was, it had to be like just after, True Name Nemesis came out because I that's about when I started playing Legacy was when True Name Nemesis came out. True Name Nemesis, it was the year before that. It was the year before True Name Nemesis came out, I should say. Or earlier that year because okay. Young Pyromancer came out. Again, like I thought Zombarbent was going to be a deck to beat forever. And I actually did pretty well for my first Legacy tournament. I think I went three and three before I dropped. But like, you know, playing this pile of zombie cards, at, you know, you're right. I remember now I'm thinking about it. Uh later on in Philadelphia, uh that's when uh Trinemesis came out because I had to buy like a second one at, at that <laughs> tournament, like not playing all four of them at the at the time. I, I do remember that. I remember when uh that the commander deck had come out and everybody was like, Oh yeah, this is obviously a bad design mistake and this is not good for legacy. But people were trying to pawn true name nemesis nemesis at that event for like 80 bucks a pop. oh yeah oh yeah because I, I i remember like walking around thinking oh man i'm gonna need these and you know <laughs> vendor vendors didn't have them but there were people who were like yeah i have them I'll, I'll sell them to you and they were trying to do it off to the side and they were like 80 bucks and i was like get out of here no way uh, and I, I wasn't having it i did do well at that tournament but um i i what what, what a blast from the past to be like yeah stone blade and Zombardment were like reasonable decks that you could bring to a meta game. That that versus... was the that was the uh, tournament that I learned that your opponent could be playing uh, Rug Delver, and if you attacked with your uh, two uh, Island Walk guys, and he bolted one of them, <laughs> he could block with his Tarmogoyf, and it was just like the super blowout. Oof. He was like, uh, "I'll block, I'll, I'll bolt your uh, Lord of Atlantis, and I'll block your other Lord of Atlantis, and I'll take." Uh, two damage from your curse catcher and a good game for you. They're going to say he wastes his own land or something. No, that yeah. was so the next, I think the next thing that happened was this in the same match, 
uh, I went turn one, uh, like curse catcher, turn two, mute vault, uh, standstill, and my opponent followed up with a wasteland <laughs> after a delver on turn one or something like that. It's just like so bad. I remember that was one of the first. That was the first thing that I remember we us talking about. Trim was like, ah, I had to break my own standstill. That would be the reason why. Yeah, I know. I don't think I ever broke my own standstill ever again after that one mistake. That was like the only time I just learned to never play them if I if I couldn't uh, like I just pitched them to force or something. Nate, that brings me to my next question. What's the most memorable punt you've ever had in a tournament? Oh, okay. So, I I think that I have to pick. The thing I'm gonna pick, but I'm gonna preface it with this other punt, uh, which was a different Star City, where I was playing Dead Guy Ale and I Inquisition of Kozilek to my opponent, and they misdirected it to me, and then I let them pick the card because I for, I like, was we were kind of not thinking, but I still got to pick the card, so I so like they picked uh, something that would have won me the game, but I but um, and I put it in the graveyard, but I had a Lingering Souls in my hand. And if I put the lingering souls in my graveyard, I might have won. I would have actually won the match because I would have been able to like strip their uh, show and tell on the next turn or something. Um, and then they called the judge. I had to call the judge. We had to call a judge because it was a bad, you know, a mistake. And then the the, the judge asked me if I had felt um, intimidated by my opponent into letting them pick the card. Uh, the 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 punchline is that my opponent was maybe five foot four, maybe about ninety five pounds. <laughs> Just like this little scrawny kid, and I'm a you know ogre. So you answered yes. So I was like no, and I was like starting to. La- I was like laughing. I was like, "What are you talking about? Intimidated?" Um, yeah, intimidated is no longer. It's menace now. Yeah, it's menace. Yeah, I was not menaced by my opponent. The actual worst punt was against Brian Koval in the top four of the uh, Eternal Extravaganza, which was the last or the, maybe the legacy tournament I've had the best finish in where I finished in the top four playing Bant Stoneblade. Uh, Brian was playing elves and I had an engineered explosives on one and he played a glimpse of nature. And I responded by blowing up the engineered explosives because I forgot you could just float a bunch of mana with all of his elves <laughs> and basically did nothing. That was the absolute worst punt. I don't think I had a chance of winning but I definitely had a better chance if I waited for him to finish his glimpse turn than did yeah. it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that sucked. Um, what do you think was your your best, like your most memorable play? My most memorable play from a legacy tournament. Um. Okay, so. I played when Dig Through Time was legal, which can you believe that was actually real? That was actually a thing that you could do. You could play. Can you Dig believe that Time. was six years ago? <laughs> six years ago. It was in Charlotte. It was during Eternal Weekend. And I had to miss Eternal Weekend because we were going to Charlotte to visit my wife's cousin for the week. And that was fine. There happened to be a Star City in Charlotte that weekend, and they happened to have a legacy IQ on Sunday. And I finished uh, in the top 16 of that IQ with a Grixis deck that was just basically every broken card uh, that you could think of, including three dig through times. And the most memorable play was that I correctly assumed when I was playing against Chris Van Meter in the second round, he was playing Omnitel because dig through time was legal, that he would board in Young Pyromancer. 
And so I boarded in things that would kill a young pyromancer and all of its tokens. But I never drew a second land against the young pyromancer. I kept the hand with like a pyroclasm or something. I forget exactly. I never either never drew a red source or never drew a second land. And I actually died to the py- to the pyromancer that I knew he was going to juke into with the hate for it in my hand. But I was very proud of myself. I've always been very proud of myself for actually making that correct read, read. Yeah, for correctly making that read that he would do that against a deck with pyroblast, cabal therapy, and multiple counter spells. So the next, the, the next question related to that is: What's your most memorable top deck? Most memorable top deck. Hmm. Let's think. I'm trying to think if I've had a memorable top deck in a game that mattered. The bonfire of the damn moment. Oh no! It's it's a clip on my it's a clip on my Twitch channel. Um. No, this isn't a top deck, but it's it's the sort of it's my opponent's top deck, and I had like an answer to I had an answer to like one card in their deck that would have killed me otherwise. At a containment priest, we were playing Esper Mentor. We were getting ready to play that tournament, the Seattle tournament with Esper Mentor. I was playing against elves online, and I drew a containment priest. And my opponent had one card, like had no cards in hand, a full board. Um, I, but I think I had like enough death right ability to win. Like um, they had a full board, but like they didn't have any, they didn't have a hand. So they draw a card. I have a containment priest in my hand. They draw a card and start making tons of mana. And I'm sitting there, please be green sun zenith. Please be green sun zenith. Please don't just have the crater hoof. Green Sun Zenith for eight goes on the stack. Smash the Containment Priest into play. That always stuck out to me. It was because I was like, uh, yeah, I couldn't beat the I couldn't beat the Crater Hoof off the top, but I could beat the Green Sun Zenith. So, the OG opposition agent. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, Do you have a Did you have a, a most um, enjoyable card to play with over your entire? career playing magic what's the like most enjoyable card you to play with or to build around i always uh say that i think cabal therapy is probably that card for me i played a lot of decks um more, now that i've been playing more old school and stuff i think a lot more about dark ritual as a card that i just like you know it's sort of the same deal just like making skulls but curd ape too like because i can play it in old school i love i love putting a curd ape into play if i can if i can opine for a minute about legacy when I started playing Legacy, I was going to build Zoo because I saw that it was doing well. This would have been the time before Delver came out, right? Right before Delver came out. And Zoo was still a deck that you could play. And I just, I love that a feeling of playing a Taiga into a Curdave. I don't know what it is. It just feels so good. But I know there's a number of reasons why that isn't good anymore, especially not in Legacy. But man, there's just something that feels like so old timey magic about it that I just, you know, one of the things that is hard is that when all the new cards come out, sure, you like to have some of them because they've plugged the holes that you've never been able to plug before, right? Faithless Looting, for example, giving red that kind of action um, was really, you know, a great card for how I, for things that I like doing. But there's just nothing more classic than. I have the biggest possible monkey on turn one. 
And I've got this cool dual land in play that I pulled from a pack. So I pulled a Taiga from a revised pack once. Maybe that's what it is. But yeah. Do you remember the first rare you ever pulled? The first rare I ever pulled. Um, it would be an Ice Age card because that was my first starter deck. I know but mine I was Chaos Lord. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because it, I. I would I would go literally I would open the Ice Age list and look at all the rares. I can remember cards from my first ever starter deck. For example, Brainstorm was my first ever starter yeah. deck. It's so probably it was like Gaze, Diabolic Vision or something. Gaze like of Pain. It might have been Diabolic Vision. <laughs> my dad reads comics. My dad's like a comic guy, right? Um, and so he came home. From, I told him about magic, and he came home from the comic store one night, and it was like, "Here's that game you like. I bought you a deck for it," you know. He bought me a deck of an Ice Age deck, and then I think two fourth edition starter or booster packs, and uh, that was my that was my initial foray into playing Magic. Those are the best. Like as a kid, like you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but I was thirteen when Magic came out, and I started playing. I guess two years after, I got twelve dollars every two weeks for allowance. So that was like literally like what <laughs> like three packs every two weeks, you know, like. So whenever like your dad brought you home something something like that, that was a giant boon because you know as initially we played kitchen table. It was just like whatever you had, hundred card blue deck. All my blue cards are in this are in this deck. Yeah, and I think that like one thing that's that's missing a little bit you know, from the experience these days, even for young players is that, but I do kind of wonder about arena because I, there's so many whining, there's so much whining about arena. And I, and I suppose I understand some of it. I also don't have the like patience to parse it all and decide who's right or wrong, but there is something visceral about wondering if the pack you just got is going to have the card you want. Like, (laughs) yeah. You never, you don't get that. Feeling. I never, I never feel that way with with arena. I, absolutely not, because you have uh, the wild cards and stuff. So you just crack backs, but and try I don't and grind value. You might be able to grind. I'm not grinding value. I'm just playing what I have on arena because I don't have the energy to to navigate that economy. Whereas with with legacy or any other format, I just order the cards I want yeah. off the internet and have them shipped to me. I would. I mean, if, if you could do that on on Arena, I would have done it immediately. Uh, just like well, I give did me do it deck. immediately. That's the point. Yeah. You know, I did do it immediately. Like once I came back to Magic and I was like, oh, I've got disposable income and it doesn't cost that much. Now, again, you know, keeping in mind that this prices is, have changed in yeah, the past 10, 10 years. years ago. Yeah, yeah, 10 years ago. Things have changed a little bit. Um, but like at the time being like, I could just get the cards I want or, you know, work up to them reasonably slowly, but I could get them and get the deck I wanted. The deck's right there. That's a total, that's like a, you're, you get excited to do that because that's a thing you didn't get to do. But then there's something just kind of like about arena in general that I've noticed playing it a little bit more because it's on my phone and so I can play it. And like, yes, like, you know, there's a number of reasons that standard sucks or whatever. I mean, it's the legacy podcast and people like to, you know, people, there's a lot of, you know, I don't know, complaining about the cards, how the cards look, but in terms of just playing the game, just fire up some of these arena practice decks, do the stupid quests and you get your pack. It's visceral and it's fun. And it's like, it really brings you back. 
in a way, if you experience that in the first place where you like didn't have all the cards you wanted, you're just, and you're literally just jamming one game. There's no sideboard when you're playing as best of one to get stupid gold, like an like an ape, you know? Yeah, and, and then playing and that's, fun. And then and that after, is how we played as kids. Yeah, yep. And you then know, after a while you get a pack. As a child, you know, like after a while you get a pack. And you open the pack, and what's in it? Is it a wild card? Wild card's obviously the thing you want the most, but like one thing I've noticed is that I'll open the pack. It won't have a wild card. So I'll actually look at the cards in it. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a cool card. Maybe I'll do something with this. I never do. But like, <laughs> that's more that's more a function of not having time than not having willpower. Or will, willpower is not the right word because I don't have willpower. Right. What would you say is uh, your most memorable magic-related experience that wasn't playing? Most memorable magic-related experience that wasn't playing. What do you mean? Well, let's, what, what makes it magic-related? So, like travel, like like anything revolving, or like it, it could be anything on like the podcast. It's something that happened at an event. Something that uh, while you were like brewing up a deck and you discovered something. Anything that is is um, involved in the game but wasn't actually an in-game experience. Yeah. And like, this is going to sound like blowing smoke because of the circumstances, but it's not like, I remember the first time someone recognized me from the podcast. Like that was a really cool moment. And I've tried to like, you know, always be approachable and everything, you know, outside the podcast and, you know, knowing that there were some people who actually did care about, you know, what we had to say about it because, you know, um, we're, it, we're, I'm tickled anytime someone comes up to us and is like, yo, man, you guys are with Eternal Dirtles. That's so cool. And I'm like, are you serious? Yeah, I mean, in, in last year. <laughs> Just last, me shouting into the void. Thanks. <laughs> last year in, in January, we had a vintage event during GP Austin. And uh, like someone came down from Dallas was like, oh, are you you're Nate from the podcast. Like I heard you mention that you're going to do this on the podcast. So we came down to play proxy vintage at this bar in Austin and, you know, talk about just like a monkey's paw curling. Now that bar doesn't exist and we haven't played magic since, but you know, well, not in the same way I should say. Um, yeah. I mean, every time like hanging out at hanging out at tournaments has always been great. I'm going to still, you know, at some point we'll still be able to do that. Like I'm like, again, I want to be very clear that I'm not quitting magic. This is not about quitting magic or anything. This is about, you know, I'm leaving the podcast for, you know, for, for now. And you know, that's my, that's something I'm doing, but like, I still love magic. I don't, I will never quit. And I will tell people never to quit. You know, don't quit. You'll, you'll come back and you'll be mad that you quit. Because you'll either have missed some, you'll miss, you'll have missed something that looks cool, like you'll have missed some sort of era of magic that looks cool, or you'll miss your cards and you'll never get your cards back because you never will get your cards back. You'll never, they'll never be the same. Um, what was the most, um, the most jaw-dropping spoiler you ever saw? What was, what was the card when you saw it? You couldn't believe they printed it. Okay, let's just think. That's going to end up being fairly recent. That's going to end up being a recent card. Was it Oko? <laughs> no, I was wrong. I was wrong about Oko. Phil was <laughs> the joke on the podcast, right? Is that I was right about Dreadhorde Arcanist and Phil was wrong. And then I was wrong about Oko and Phil was right. So you win some, you lose some. Um, no, it would have been Teferi. 
when that came out right before Niagara Falls. In fact, I know I think I'm sure I've mentioned this a couple times, but first of all, getting a tournament in that legacy tournament in Niagara Falls, and then how upsetting it was that it was going to be Easter, and like. I mean, having grown up there, it's a big part of, you know, not even grow up in Niagara Falls. I grew up, uh, you know, in Rochester, which is not even Buffalo, but I went to college in Buffalo. I lived in Buffalo. My brother still, my, both of my brothers live in Buffalo. You know, it's, it's one of my favorite cities. Um, and Niagara Falls not only isn't Buffalo, but it's Niagara Falls, Can- uh, America, which is not Niagara Falls, Canada. And it was on Easter weekend. So that there was so many strikes against it. I didn't want people to dislike, you know, I wanted people to have a good time because it was important to me that people enjoyed that tournament. And one interesting thing about it was that we did the open letter and everything and, and got everyone on board. And, and like, at least we made a point that now seems like was definitely shouting into the ether, but whatever. But one thing about that tournament that I'll remember always now was that it was during the War of the Spark spoiler season. And there was, and the, the venue was small and it was Easter. So there wasn't a ton of people there, nor was a bunch of stuff open. There was some stuff that was closed. It poured. This is again, like just Buffalo luck, everything up till drafting Josh Allen for the last 20 years, just Buffalo luck. Missing out on uh, Bon Jovi as an owner, right? No, no, no. Fuck that guy. Fuck him. <laughs> oh, fuck, fuck Bon Jovi. Fuck moving the team to Canada. Asshole. Hold on, we're gonna he do like, He wasn't gonna move. He the team said to- he was gonna do it. He was gonna move the team to Canada. Get up, get move the Philadelphia Freedom to Canada. Give him an Arena League team. Um, where was I? Anyway, War of the Spark, War of the Spark spoilers are out. And Teferi had been spoiled at that point. I'm not sure if Karn and Narset had, but there's some component, some mixture of those three had. And kind of there was very much like a uh it was sort of like um sort of like this like a going away party because i think there was a there was definitely a feeling in that room that the second those cards come out this format's not coming back (laughs) and that was kind of what happened it's been weird since that's for sure it's been weird since it's been different since then they and it was after getting rid of death ray shaman which of course we talked about for years and years and years on this show and whether or not I thought the Death Rite Shaman was the absolute worst card, anything that happens, I usually am in favor of. Because any change is always cool. Like anytime something has been dominant and then removed, you just get that, just get that rush to fill the vacuum. And it's so energizing. And legacy had been in such a good spot, you know, for in that time. And then, of course, not only did those cards come out within weeks of that tournament and change things forever. Modern Horizons came out in June. Yep. It brought Red in six. And uh, Red. Then, then Thorn of Eldraine coming out in September. Right? Yeah, it was it was just like, it, it was just like. Just getting smash. pounded over yeah. and over and over. You couldn't, you couldn't keep up with the, with, with how much the meta changed. So War of the Spark came out and then like within a week, Vintage was broken. Yeah. Yeah. War of the Spark came out and before before anyone had figured out how to play Teferi in a deck, Red and Six was released by in Modern Horizons. Red and, uh, Modern Horizons 1 was released on my birthday, June 14th. A day that will live in infamy. I mean, That's just wait 20, until we get... 2018, 2019? We're, we're, we're going to get Red and 7. 
We're getting Renin Seven in oh, what a month and a half. I so can't wait. It's gonna it's gonna be a two minute planeswalker that like shocks three things and you know puts you up multiple permanents. Yeah, I guess another short digression is like, boy, like I, I just don't know what to say about some of these cards that come out. You know, like um, I love playing, I love playing brews, I love attacking the form from a different angle, but there's just no angles. It's it's a very uh, there's so many te- there's so much text on every card that uh, you know something's got to happen if it gets into play. I was looking at I was looking at something earlier. It was like an elementals deck in modern with Omnath. Like Omnath, like you're playing elementals, but you're really just getting Omnath in play. You're not doing any cool stuff with Risen Reef and and like uh, the clone. What's that two mana clone? Phantasmal image. image, which I was like the second Risen Reef was released, I was like Phantasmal image. Here we go. This is gonna be sick. We're gonna draw two cards. I remember when you were so high. I'm like I'm I'm master of wavings. Master of then into master waves. You hit a master waves off that thing, Whew. would have been so good. It was, and then yeah, then they ended up just printing Omnath, which Omnath, which did, yes, so yeah. much better than Waves, which is a cool card. Master waves is a cool card, and it's a blue card. Even I, you know, pro red. How, how many? How many times, if ever, did you consider playing a Lurin with Gravecrawler so you could just cast Gravecrawler infinite times? Um. I've had Allurans. I've had Allurans a lot. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I've never, I've never owned a Phyrexian altar, or I haven't owned a Phyrexian altar since my original collection, and that's what you need. I guess you don't need it for that. You would need a Goblin Bombardment. I did actually try. I think I did at one point think of the um, Alluran Goblin Bombardment uh, commune with the gods engine. I think I did try that once. I think I might have put it together. So with commune with the gods, since you just put all the creatures, all the cards in the graveyard, you could put the grave crawler there. And you just like have to find a bombardment and learn and get them into play. Um, I think I might have done it with Squee too, because you could just uh, get Squee out. That might have been with Food Chain. Might have been Food Chain Squee as an engine. But yeah, like look at all these little things that like have gone in one ear and out the other. You know, that unfortunately are just probably never coming back. Probably never coming back. It's too the format's like crazy, insane, powerful. So here, here's a good one. You have five cards. Fix the format. Five new cards? You have five, you have five cards. I don't care if you ban, unban, you make up a new one. Five cards, fix the format. My friend Rob Connolly posted a card that he said he came to him in a dream. One in a black enchantment. Whenever a player casts a instant or sorcery spell, they may pay three life. If they don't, you make a zombie token. That seems like a fun card. Get okay. some pressure There's going one. to make him make him pay. I don't know that that's the, the best card. I think, but anyway, I had was like, well, to make it powerful enough, it also you also need to tax people for every incident sorcery they cast for how many zombies you control, and you need to make it free to cast so you can discard a black card instead of casting it, and uh, it's uncountable. So that's how I that's how I fixed Rob's card. We're not going to do that. It's easy to fix legacy, um, force of negation, Delver of Secrets. Um, I guess Teferi. Teferi is really irritating. Um, actually, you know what? I used to have a list of 20 cards you could ban tomorrow in Legacy. Let's see if I still have it. Definitely those three. Um, but I don't think I'm going to find the list. Got a lot of stuff in here with Chatter of the Squirrel. 
but um yeah i was gonna i guess shadow of the squirrel, squirrel might be the pick but i was gonna ask what's the what's the card that you uh wish more than any other was competitively viable hold on i'm gonna i gotta finish zach's five five yeah, first yeah delver force of negation to fairy i'm gonna say true name just because like it's on brand you're and not I, gonna unban anything if I had one card to unban, I would unban. <laughs> okay. Delver. Yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, there you go. Delver, counterbalance, Teferi, true name, unban top. This so personal you're attack. You're removing no, counterbalance. Because without counterbalance, top is not weaponized. Yeah, so that's and actually, top can be used in, in so many other decks. I agree. Yeah, that's the point. The point would be to get it in there. Get it in there. Brando had Brando had to come to pay his respects. Yeah, there's Brando. Oh, look at that little guy. <laughs> I love everyone's dog so much more than mine. I I I I feel like uh, I agree with a lot of that. <laughs> what you like? Force you like of negation. <laughs> yeah. Force of negation really hurts. In a way, it really does like make it so you just can't do anything. Like you can't just kind of you can't squeeze it in. Changes the force of will math and everything. Yeah. Um, and uh, plus, it's not an interesting card to put in your deck because it's just more force of wills. And because you need more blue cards to feed it, you just put more blue cards in. And that means you just play more cantrips have the same effect. I will say, though, that I tried to build a deck for middle school that ended up being a mono blue deck without meaning to. Because by the time I got all those cards I needed in there, uh, I ran out of space for other stuff. But it was a deck. It was Academy Researchers, Mythic Proportions. What if Mythic Proportions was the card I answered Phil with? Remind me what that does. It's an what? aura that gives a creature plus eight, plus eight, and trample. Oh, God. And does it come into play tapped or something? No, no. You put Academy Researchers in. Academy Researchers triggers, which lets you put an aura on it. Then you just put Mythic Proportions on it. Today, you would put Eldrazi Conscription on the, on yeah, the of course. Uh, Academy Researchers. Or... Colossify or something like that. It's five minute or other. Make it 20 plus, is it? Yeah, plus 20 plus 20. Does that give. Wait, is that. I don't know if it gives any other abilities other than plus 20 to plus 20, though. I think it I think it <laughs> taps the creature when it comes into play. Yeah, but summoning sickness, whatever. Yeah, so they just have to untap with your 22 22. Yeah, just have to get untapped. <laughs> just have to get that untapped. I mean, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do first that. you have to you have to cast Academy Researchers and not have it get blown out by a removal spell by Power Blast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that was the deck I tried. It was ended up being well. Iridescent Drake is another card that lets you cheat in an aura. So um, Iridescent Drake brings an aura from your graveyard attached to it. Also an Urza block card because that was an enchantment block, even though it was Urza and had Solarian Academy in it. Um, so I built the deck around those cards. Those or that that aura plus Zephyr's Embrace, which is another good aura, plus Frantic Search, plus a bunch of like digging cards, and then Force of Will, and then I realized I didn't have any room for any other cards, so I did build a mono blue deck against against all odds. But I do like playing blue. In fact, Phil, Phil, like the last time we saw each other, God, at a tournament in Atlanta, Phil let me Dreadnoughts, and I played that blue. That mono blue dreadnought scroll of fate deck, which again I thought was going to be awesome with gush guy, so good. You got gush guy. You ever resolved gush? Gush guy. Insane. That's what's called. Fathom gush seer. Fathom seer. Yeah, yeah. Gush seer. guy. I like gush guy. And that was before Lazav. <laughs> that was before Lazav existed. 
Um, it must have been because there's there, there's no way I would have let you sleeve up Dreadnought without playing Lazav unless you went behind my back and <laughs> pulled him out. When did Lazav come out? Lazav was in uh, the um, most recent Ravnica set. That has to already? be. It would have been before that because uh, Arclade Phoenix was in that set. Yeah. Oh, wait. We, we sleeved up Gush Guy and didn't play Lazav with Dreadnought? We didn't play well, Lazav because it's a mono blue deck. We so really you were playing what, like Vision Charm? This is so charm. against, but, but the opportunity to play Lazav and, and not doing it is so against my brand. I don't know what to do here. You let like me did, the dread, you just let me dreadnoughts and scrolls of fate, if I recall. Correctly. I know, but I, I did lend you those cards, but I feel like I did you dirty by not being like, also, here's Lazav's. I think we talked about it and said we didn't think it was worth playing just the one, just the one Lazav. Oh, I, we, I'm, I, like, I, would ma- I would max out on Lazav's, but it's, no, it's not, possible. Not, to... not, no, not playing that as like the only black card or something. We just oh, oh, yeah, maybe that's maybe we that's thought true. That we thought, it, yeah. Red and six was legal, so I think we thought we didn't want to play enough. We we're going to uh, we're going to undercut Wasteland by that's, playing all. That's islands. reasonable. Yeah, that's side, totally reasonable. Side, side question uh, for Phil here. Um, is it insane to try and play uh, Death Shadow Lazav not? I've tried it and it's not good. Okay. And I'll, I'll, okay. oh yeah, oh yeah, of course. It's, like, it's one of the first places you need go. to make. I need to make sure. I just um, like wait a second. The the issue with it is that it's death death shadow strength is being efficient, and if they remove a death shadow, um, you are likely better. A you're likely better protecting the death shadow via thought seize or stubborn denial anyway. <laughs> but assuming that they removed it and it wasn't sword splashers, paying for a Lazav in your death shadow deck means that it's a three mana. Death Shadow, um, and it doesn't have the same out as uh, Dreadnought with Trample and whatnot. So it's like, Makes it sense. doesn't give your deck another access that it needs, and it's not necessarily better than Gurmag. So it being a two-mana threat, that's really a three-mana threat. Um, whereas like okay. with um, Lazav, it's like you can stick Lazav on turn two, and then without having to do all of the hoops to get below 13, play your dreadnought and you have a 12 12 yeah that you makes know. sense it, it's just like the the way that the game plays out because death shadow requires you to get below 13 so you have to do a bunch of things a lot of the time it's doing things that interact unless you have a busted draw so yeah. it's like if they don't play a creature for your snuff out there's nothing really you can do with it right yeah but that's all right I, yeah. fair enough good good ideas we're we're, we're, <laughs> you're, we're, we're back in 2017 that was 2017. That was 2019. <laughs> whatever, whatever. That <laughs> was 2019. 2018 in December, they spoiled Lavinia, and we did a whole show on it, and we were all like, "Oh my god, why is there so much text on this card?" We that's also not, weren't sure why. Doing. We weren't sure why there was text that was like different. It was like, "Oh, this thing does two of the same thing, but like in different ways that can be extremely confusing if you don't remember which." It's like, "Oh, it counters it, but also cards can't be cast on the same card." Yep. Neither like, of which, and I remember saying, neither with this, none of this stops. Omniscience Emrakul, show and tell Omniscience <laughs> Emrakul. So it's even like all that text to stop people from cheating stuff in, and it doesn't stop that one thing. It, it stops them from going, if you're on the play and you play it and they don't counter it, it stops Ancient Tomb Island kill you. Yeah. Right, but then they could just play three islands and kill you. You're, you're right. You're, you're right. It, all you got they, is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> they do have the option to, uh, as uh, professionals say in the business, play around. Yeah. Turns out a two-two clock is not enough to Against get there. The deck that's going to win in one turn. Yeah. yeah. What's your invitational card, Nate? Oh, good question. Ooh. 
What's a card? It's so you're basically asking, what's a card you've always wanted to be printed, right? With your face on it. With my face on it. Let's think. I think it, it would be. Uh, I, I'm also. I'm going to. So you think about that question for one second. I'm going to point the same question at Zach. Not what Zach's card would be. Oh, what, what Zach, I think Nate's what, card is. What, what do you think Nate's card should be? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's a good question. Uh, so if I were to choose a card type for Nate, uh, right? So it's a. It's. It's got to be a creature that gets value when when sacrificed, but also like makes makes the honest on you to like know what your opponent is playing right so it's almost like uh almost like a uh like cabal therapist but like you sacrifice it kind of kind of situation but then uh man uh okay so i'll give you a baseline Hmm. i think if if uh if nate's invitational card doesn't start with playable mardu identity we've already oh yeah yeah no no for sure for sure yeah yeah 100 (laughs) um no it'll be like it'll be a uh a black and white card uh probably a a uh, a three three for two right um when it attacks uh each player loses a life and then Name a non-legend, non-land card. Hmm. Name a non-legend, non-land card. Uh, opponent exiles it, and either player may play that card uh, as long as it's exiled. I'm going uh, with that. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with this one, and then we'll, we'll see what the, the man himself says. I agree. It's a black white card. So it's it's a black white two one human ogre wizard <laughs> with a red uh, that uh, says during your upkeep you bob and then it has red uh, activated ability uh, sacrifice it shock something. Okay. Those are those are respectable choices, Zach. When you were talking, I think what you really want here is is a black creature that enters the battlefield and that on enters the battlefield and on death you get to cabal therapy. That yeah. would be sick as hell. That would be sick. So two, I, 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 like, two, I like two, the two, idea. Name a card, like... and it's battlefield. Name a card, right? Yep. Or player reveals their hand and discards it. Then when it dies, name a card. Target player reveals their hand and discards it. That, that actually be... sounds like a really reasonable design yeah. too. Unless you sacrifice it to Cabal Therapy. Oh, you go Cabal Therapy, that. Sacrifice it to Cabal Therapy. That's just that's just good value. Shift your hand. Yeah. That, that's, that's you you don't have anything to play either. That's the perfect point. Yeah. I wrote down two things. They're not going to be as exciting as you think. Dryad Militant with Hexproof. Megas mm-hmm. of the channel. <laughs> Dryad Militant with Hexproof is the 2-1 from Return to Ravnica that you can't cast stuff from the graveyard. Uh, whatever it is, a sorcery card goes to the graveyard or exiled. exiled. And what was the other one? Megas of the channel. I'm okay. never, I'm never going to forgive them for not doing Megas of the channel. It's never too late. They're just going to put it in MH2, but it's going to cost six, and then you're going to have to pay nine mana. I don't care. I'll do it. <laughs> Into <laughs> I'll it. I'll do it. I'll do it. One thing that I never did as a kid that I did in an old school game was win with Channel Fireball. And let me tell you, 
that was so cool. <laughs> Literally, like Lotus Mountain oh, Channel. Turn one. Oh, that's it was so turn good. three or something, but like, yeah, my put it was I got play. I think the best I've ever done with Channel Fireball is turn turn two with a tender wall. It was like yep. turn one, tender wall, turn two, channel fireball. It was not, it was not turn one, but I still got to do it. Um, how many, how many in, in your lifetime? How many deck lists with 4X Orcish Lumberjack have you scribbled down but never sleeved up? Oh, that, yeah, a lot. Probably going, <laughs> there was one in my first starter deck, I bet. There was one in my first starter deck for sure. <laughs> this is the one time where Nate goes infinite. <laughs> be interesting to see if you could figure that out. But Orcish Lumberjack is a cool card. I was always, I was always uh, disappointed with myself that someone else uh, figured it out first. I don't know exactly who it was. It was someone adjacent to like Nick Fit or Tin Fins. One of those discords figured out how to play Orcish Lumberjack. Did we, were we together when I, when I built the, the Luca Orcish Lumberjack deck and got it to work in the first game and then lost eight games in a row? <laughs> oh, no. And I went turn one, Orcish Lumberjack, turn two, Luca, minus two, the Lumberjack, get an Emrakul on turn two. It was like never losing again, never losing the game again. And then just lost eight games in a row probably. But uh, I can't remember if I was streaming or if we were all together. I feel like I remember a screenshot of that. Yeah. But then I also remember we didn't stay on it long enough to fine tune any of it. <laughs> Maybe we could now though, because the deck had four Okos in it too. It was it was four Lumberjack, four Birds of Paradise, perhaps two other Mana Dorks. And then four Lucas, four Okos, one Emrakul. And then the rest was just whatever nonsense you wanted to play, whether it was cantrips or bolts or whatever. Because you, you of course you need you need a you need a creature, you need all the creatures to be the same mana cost, right? Um, so you either were gonna ramp into Luca or ramp into Oko. And if you ramped into Oko, you just won anyway. So you didn't need to you didn't even need to play Luca. That was Again, just an, an idea of like how, why these things don't happen. You know, because so many brews just end up putting the card in that kills the brew yeah. because it's just so good. The brew wants to play it. Excuse me. Uh, you know, yeah. what I'm looking forward to is the next time when we were all in the same place together in some like probably shitty hotel in Philadelphia, I'm guessing, probably. for like a, uh, a, uh, Star City event God or something. Uh, considering that Ninja is a creature type and Lumberjack <laughs> is not, what's the uh, the creature subtype that doesn't exist that really should, Nate? A creature subtype that doesn't exist that really should. Because you can be a Ninja, but you can't be a Lumberjack. Lumberjack is not a creature type, so uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm thinking, so we're, we're talking about plague class. engineering. Yeah, can't be plague engineering lumberjack, but you can plague engineer ninja. What do you think the second? What do you think the class is on an orcish lumberjack? It's orc. It's going to be like creature it's, orc. Probably it's, warrior. It's orc, it's orc lumberjack, right? It's got to be no lumberjacks are usually berserkers. Yeah, maybe. At least, at least in the uh, the silver bordered cards, anything that any goblin that's like shredding trees is a berserker. Are there thieves? Like, is thief a creature type? No. Yes. It is? No. No, Notion rogue. Thief? It's the rogue. It's rogue. Yeah. Notion thief is not a thief. It's a rogue. Yeah, Notion thief is not a thief. It's a rogue. It's interesting that rogue is a creature type. I think I would like to see thieves 
Robin Hood is not a thief. It's a rook. I'm thinking about Arabian Nights, though. Like, wouldn't Aladdin be a thief? Or is he he's probably a rogue? Rogue has different implications. Rogue I mean, seems a little yeah, bit Yeah, tell wider. that to D&D 3rd D Edition. I will yeah. say that when they go to my home plane of Sicily, maybe... Uh, <laughs> They're gonna need to. They're gonna need to come up with some like capo, capo regime. Subtypes. Summon mobster. <laughs> mobster would be a cool subtype. It would be a cool set. Like there is organized crime on like Ravnica, right? Isn't Orzov just basically organized crime? Yeah, yeah. They they exploit the church. Um, the church of time. And then and then conspiracy actually is Italy, supposedly. Right, which pa- I'm, I am writing to the Italian. I am writing to the Italian Defense League about about their portrayal of us as uh, usurpers of the throne. Queen Marquesa is probably the most playable Bardot card in Legacy, and it's it's fringy, but man, if they just botch the stats a little bit to bring it down to just be Mardu instead of four mana, uh, that card would be so good. Yeah, well, you can't play. Four, what do you play that's four mana anymore? Jace the Mind Sculptor. Excuse Darn. you. Like, oh no, not a Jace. Excuse what will you. I do? I'm quaking all, all, in my boots. All, all the answer is sneak attack. Uh, the, 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 your last <laughs> podcast, you come out here with the disrespect to get rid of counterbalance, dunking on Jace the Mind Sculptor. What it happens? is interesting though. Like, <laughs> I remember the first time I had a Jason play. Do you know how I first got a Jason play for the first time in my life? You veteran explored it. Killed it with Soren. Soren. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Did not own a Jace. Killed it with Soren Lord of Innistrad. Got to bring it to my side. I was in Washington, D.C. Mm. playing. Oh, man. Washington, D.C. That was a great GP. That wasn't a GP. I was there for work, and I went to Legacy Night. Yeah, That used to be a thing you could do. You could go to a different city, bring your deck. Um, And, uh, yes, I killed my opponent's Jace with a Soren Lord of... Is it Soren Lord of Innistrad that... Brings it back. It's not Soren yeah. Visitor. It's Soren Lord of Yeah, Soren. Yeah, Soren Visitor. And I looked uh, at it, and I had, and I was like, bonds. I don't know what to do with this card. I've never used one. <laughs> I <laughs> guess brainstorm. I'll brainstorm. <laughs> yeah. Um. However, I did. I, I I did actually at one point. I did have a, a brief phase where I enjoyed playing Jace quite a bit. Uh, playing Bant Stoneblade, which was a deck that I really actually quite enjoyed quite a bit as well. Um, and I would play two, one or two Jaces, and it was always fun to get into play and then put like a Kasali Pride Mage on top of your deck and then shuffle it back into play with Green Sun Zenith. That's all, that's all I need out of Jace. I don't want to brainstorm into anything good. Let's brainstorm into my 2-2, two, two, but I have to spend three more mana. Tax for three. Tax for three. Wait, so uh, your, your invitational card is... Cabal Therapy, e- ETB, Cabal Therapy dies? I think it would be, honestly, I think Dryad Militant with Hexproof would have been my oh, all-time right, that's favorite. Right, that's right. Just like, maybe, like, I, it was the kind of, it's the kind of card that I've looked at so many times as being like, this This is so close to just solving all my problems. It's white and green, you know? It's a, it's a Savannah Lions with an ability, but it's white and green, so you can Zenith for it if you play in a green deck or you just play it in a white deck. And it would just, like, would have made... Would have made Dreadhorde Arcanist a different card. Would have made Underworld Breach a different card. Look at it that. It was legal. It was legal during. It was during legal, but you can't play it. You can't play it because it just gets killed. But what if it had hexproof? It's just, it's just, it's just niche enough that 
if it had hex proof, it might be playable, but it's never, it's not good against like, I mean, I, it's good against Dreadhorde Arcanist, but it's not good against Delver, you know, or Tarmogoyf or anything like anything else that deck was doing. So you would have had to make a choice. Do I get ranched by Dryad Militant with Hexproof or do I, or do I uh, take the roll the dice, but no one's out there with Dryad Militant with Hexproof it doesn't exist. However, I am really into the idea of Cabal Therapy under the battlefield, Cabal Therapy when it dies. That would have been so sick. You probably yeah, have to be like non-creature, non-land or something. Cabal Therapist, if that was what Cabal Therapist did and, and Cabal Therapist was playable, I remember when Cabal Therapist was spoiled and I was like, ooh, this is this is going to be a reasonable one drop. And then it just like sees play nowhere. It's not an unreasonable one drop. It's that it is a it's a one drop that you're building towards something with. And there's no time to build towards anything in the format. Synergy, that yeah. is the problem. Like, you're probably not going to use it on turn two. So you're putting it into play on turn one. You're probably not going to use it on turn two. So you're talking about really using it on turn three. And there's just what you're going to... That means you're putting something else that's a synergy card into play on turn two. Whether that's Mog War Marshal or whatever, you know. Well, I mean, I guess the play the play is to thought seize after like before you attack, right? Well, the, so it's your pre-combat main phase is when the ball therapist triggers. So if you don't oh. fire it off by sacking itself, then you don't get it until turn three if you played it on turn one. Yeah, so yeah. You can yeah, try yeah. and live, you can you can try to live the dream of like turn one cabal therapist, turn two in my draw step, uh peak you. <laughs> Yeah, but then you sack the cabal therapist, so it's like at that point you're you're probably better just peaking turn one and cabal therapy turn two. Yeah, you you got your card back with peak. Yeah, no, no, it, it's totally there, but it's also one of those things where you're like, okay, at that point, uh, the flexibility is just better to have cabal therapy because it's also a flashback card. So until I want cabal therapy number five, which you don't, because cabal therapy is already kind of copies five through eight of itself. Um, I mean, isn't the, I think the the problem with that card it was it, is someone designed it thinking. This is a card that someone's going to play with Cabal Therapy and get like maximum value. And then you read the card more and you're like, oh, no, no, it, you can't sack it to like Cabal Therapy to make it work. It's weird of all of the right. Modern Horizons cards that came out alongside it that they nerfed <laughs> this one. Like there were so many ones that where they were like, guys, don't don't hold back on any of these cards, like really let them have it all. And then this one is just like, nope, only during your pre-combat main phase is this allowed. They could have cabal therapy into modern horizons you know it was also funny that it was it was a it was a uh it was a preview card it was like the first card they put yeah it was like the first, first card. card yeah um and i think we're like and oh, they were that's, like, oh that's, that's so powerful be. they had like some football player talk about it i'm like who the hell is this Catch guy marsh who is he why is football player talking about he's my he loves my magic dorky magic, magic game i think it's kind of cool that he does i wonder Speaking what it's like Speaking of invitational cards, now that we know what yours would be, what is the what is the card that you hope is printed in MH2? That was my next question, yeah. <sighs> okay, well, you know what? I will say it's it's going to be off the reservation a little bit. We're getting so close. Uh, we just need a second, either, a, they're probably not going to be able to print a second Faithless Looting. Well, they might. They might try and fix it somehow. Like, Faithless Looting, it, like if it said if it was rummage instead of loot, since that's red's ability. Red discard two, draw draw two, or red draw one, discard two, or something, or draw one, discard two at random. Very close to either having that effect or having another light up the stage effect. Light up the stage is a very underplayed card, but it is really good. 
um, view the problem. The reason it's underplayed is because you need eight of them to really make it like a thing you can do. You need like eight copies of that effect. So you can actually like build the deck around churning through your deck. So I kind of hope they figure out a way to do that. Um, I also hope they print Megas of the Channel. It'd be sweet if they did. Um, what uh, what IP? So wait, you <laughs> haven't you haven't uh, you haven't answered the other question, right? You did, you did. I, I, I hope they print Megas of the Channel. No, I, I hope okay. they print the red thing, like a red draw spell that is another red draw spell that's cool or Megas of the Channel. All right. IP you most want to see uh, integrated into Magic, IP you least want to see integrated into Magic. I'm actually not a great person to answer this question because I'm not an IP guy. You only you only do Magic the Gather. I'd like them to. They should. <laughs> I, I, well, we talked about we talked about Lord of the Wing Rings. That like I didn't like get into Lord of the Rings. I don't want Star. I don't want Star Wars Magic or Star Trek Magic. Those are like the big franchises. I don't want Futurama Magic or the Simpsons Magic. That's not the same. But in a related note, what I would love to see happen is Wizards or Hasbro licenses the magic property to Disney and Disney makes Magic Land at one of their parks. Sometime be before great. my kids are too old to go to Disney. Because oh, like you're not when I go went when you're to 60. When I went to <laughs> when I went to uh, Galaxy's Edge, man. It was so cool. Like it was stupid. Like yes, it's like dorky and stupid, but it is Star Wars, and we're on a Magic the Gathering podcast. So like, I'm not gonna really let that stop me from saying that I thought it was fucking awesome. That it was so cool. There was the, the, the droids, and it's immersive, and you're the the sounds, and you're eating the weird food, and you could see lightsabers. It's so cool. And I was like, oh, this would be sick if it was Dominaria. Now, granted, what would happen is they'd license the IP and then they'd put us on, they'd build the world around like Ixalan or something. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> no, Ixalan be, would be uh, kind of cool in Orlando, Cons not so much Tar- in California. It's going to be Cons of Tarkir and you're like, that. no one knows that world and everything's just a morph creature walking around and you're like, why did they do this? No, they, a, fan, a, a real fantasy world would be pretty cool. I don't know that there is one. There, Someone's going to tell me there is and I bet there is. Um, you know, I mean, there's a lot of like professional LARPs. There's there's one out in Arizona that's like really amazing, where it's almost like live action uh, World of Warcraft, where they give you quests and like you have to go around this like town, which is really cool. We once went to like an indoor water park. It was like a water park that was inside. It had a hotel attached to it, and they had and because they closed the water park at like seven o'clock or something for everyone that sucked there, they had like an immersive game where you had to like go to the store and get like a wand and like dangle the wand in front of these magic boxes and stuff happened. It was basically like you're, you're describing. And when I was in Utah, I never got to go to this, but there was a, um, a, like a, like a fantasy, a fantasy trope amusement park that was small. I forget what it was. It was called like the land of evermore or something. It was, it was near, <laughs> it was near my wife's doctor's office though. Like, you know, I think Dude. that's what I'm talking about, actually. Yeah, it's probably a thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're they're they, they they I saw them in the news a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago because they were being sued by Taylor Swift for playing her song in a, in a, at the wrong time or something. But yeah, like an immersive, like a, a like being able to walk around in Dominaria would be pretty cool. I think that would like I wish they would do something like that because it is kind of cool. Like especially again. Playing like playing a lot of old school, looking a lot of old cards. You know, a lot of there's actually a lot of unmined territory there, because 
you know, when Magic came out, they didn't, you know, it wasn't fleshed out. They did the Weatherlight Saga, and I think they burned themselves out. And then they started, then they did um, the Otarian cycles, right? Which were like an idea of being separate, sort of being separate from the, the main Dominaria plot. And then they started just going all over the place. Next thing's Mirrodin, Kamigawa, Ravnica, back to Dominaria for a second on Time Spiral, and then never back again until the set, so... And it turned out all of this was in service of Dominaria, anyhow. <laughs> Story-wise, like it was it all well, that's tied the thing, into though, it because you can't, like, you can't, you can't replicate it. There's no, there's, there's no going back. In fact, when I came back to playing Magic about whatever ten years ago, right? Um, I was reading about, I was reading up on things I missed. Now, a thing I should note is that when I stopped playing, I had this job. Uh, when I had stopped playing originally, I wasn't playing regularly. I had a job working in like the office at a construction company. I was just basically like doing, um, doing um, uh, like putting invoices in and stuff, right? Accounting. Yeah, like just you know paper paper pushing stuff. Summer yeah, yeah. job. And uh, when I had downtime, I would read what was the early Magic website. You know, so I'd actually kept up through Mirrodin. I think it was the might have been the year Mirrodin came out because I remember I remember being up in arms about the the um, the border changing. And then a couple of years later, I, I you know again my like so occasionally I would check in and see what was going on. So I had seen some some things, and I like went back and I, I'd read about Ravnica, and I actually ordered I, Dark Confidant is probably the the new border card if i picked like a card that i was like i have to start playing again it's because i saw dark confidant and talk about a card that i wish existed before i quit you know god what an awesome card what just such a cool card everything about it's great everything about it's great it's easy to understand it's really good but not super good the art is awesome and it's got a story with the invitational story it's got a story behind it memorable flavor text memorable yes memorable flavor text on top of that, um, and I was like, I, I want a Dark Confidant. They're so expensive. I bought a pile of Ravnica packs off eBay. Really poor financial decision. They came. I opened them. I didn't get a Dark Confidant. But I, but I did have, now I had all these Ravnica cards sort of randomly. I had, what did I have? Because I had sold my collection. All I had was a Commander deck I bought at 20-sided store and this pile of Ravnica cards. <laughs> Suddenly, this is what I've got. And when they, and I didn't play during Ravnica, but I knew it was beloved by the player base that people loved this time period in the game. But I didn't play during it, but I immediately saw why it was resonant, had this feel, really, you know, intense feel. Then when they did return to Ravnica, they cut all the cool, all this, they just drained it. They drained it. Post Planeswalker areas. Yep. Now the Planeswalkers have to be there. It, nothing that brought back that like Eastern European feel. You know, remember they had that, it was, if you look at the old Ravnica set and only look at it, you know, only the first three sets, you can, you feel the Eastern European influence, right? It straight up was influenced by the architecture in Prague. Yep. It's, but like the names New of the cards, name, names of the cards, right? New Prague's a good one, actually, yeah. where it's like, you've got those V's and those weird H's and stuff all over the place, all over the place. And then they went to return to Ravnica and now it's like Jace's sanctum and stuff like and that's not in that set but like you know what i mean though right like it's just like they had they they, they had by then they had lost it completely ravnica was the closest thing they had ever done to dominaria and they drained it of juice and then they war of the sparked it 
they made it the war of the spark place and then the you know the last time we were in ravnica now is this this thing with the set that ruined the game with these like ah just so just so stupid just really dumb and they did it again and then the next thing they had that was so they've got dominaria then the down the list is ravnica is like a resonance set and then zendikar which was cool and they blew that in the in the same block with eldrazi then innistrad and they blew that up with eldrazi just you it was they're they're chasing the dragon the dra- it's always been there just just dominaria was cool and interesting and because it wasn't someone else's ip and it wasn't just let's do our card game on this plane it was cool and it's it's circled all the way through to where strixhaven is just a, like i said when we reviewed it a straight up satire it just reads like they're not taking it at all seriously yeah. which is refreshing in a way because that's yeah. not they were taking serious it was so seriously as to be cringy so so what about ip you'd least like to see <laughs> uh harry potter i guess i mean you said yeah. like uh, <laughs> <laughs> i mean i guess you said, i would like, actually i would say i would actually like least that. like to see star wars yeah God, I, I, what, I a dis- what a nightmare that would be i what an absolute nightmare yeah, I feel I feel I feel weird about about Star Wars as a magic set, and, and at the same time, I would buy the shit out of it because I'm <laughs> super super huge Star Wars nerd. They did fucking uh, Gothenburg, and I, I like I, I fell for it. You know, I could I could that's I not mean, really I an could IP, easy, but I could probably get my wife to play Magic if they put, if they put out a Star Wars Magic set. Um, they should re-release the Star Wars Decipher game. Uh, hey, what's 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 your all-time favorite character in the lore? My all-time favorite character in the lore. <laughs> Whether or not say, they have a card. I was going to say Kurt Ape. Um, <laughs> Kurt Ape. It's, Kurt it's Ape's best story. Yeah. It's deep. It's deep it's story, man. Kurt yeah. Ape be, went on to become Simeon Spirit Guy to get banned from modern. <laughs> there you go. Jeez, could you imagine? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like um, My favorite character of all time. It's funny after that whole rant. I never really, I'm not, I'm not really a big Worthos guy on any of that stuff either. Um, it's Mike on. Long, isn't it? Yeah, Mike Long's my favorite <laughs> character. I'm trying to think: is it a character from the old days or not? Which it probably isn't. It's like, hmm. I will say, I think Yogmoth had the coolest cards. You know, Yogmoth bargain, Yogmoth will, the Yogmoth Yo, Yogmoth Demon, Demon, come on. That card's so cool. Um, uh, Let's see. I don't know if there's anyone better. Oh, um, Davil. Davil is my favorite character. Davil, blast those elves. No one cares that today is my birthday. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Davil. Yeah, yeah. uh, (laughs) Carnival Carnival of of Souls. Souls. Which is a great metal band name. Which is a card, I, Phil? When you were like, "We're gonna break Carnival of Souls," yeah, I could. I was so happy because Zach, do you remember? A Carnival of Souls was derided. It was the worst card in the set, easily, according easily. To in, in, according to Inquest, wasn't the worst card in the set. I feel they like had they, it as the like worst card in the set. That was not. Wait, that was uh, Destiny. Was it Destiny? I don't remember which set. Whatever set it was, it was, it was, it was yeah. a joke. <laughs> It was a joke. And then they printed Cavern of Souls eventually. And I called that thing Carnival of Souls for at least six months before I remembered it was Cavern. 
Um, but yeah, like, like Davo is always, that's always the one I could think of, right? Davo, blast those elves. No one cares that today is my birthday. I feel like we've kind of answered this with the uh, uh, previous question, but uh, not playing, but set of magic you'd most like to hang out at. Set of magic I'd most like to hang out at. Um, I'm going to pick Mirage so I can tell this Mirage story. Go for it. When... So Africa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not really Africa, right? But the Mirage, Mirage as a set is something that I'll always remember how I felt when I first saw it. And so it's got to go back in the Wayback Machine. It's 1996, okay? The last set was Alliances. The last set before that was, last sets before that were Homelands and Ice Age and fourth edition. Fifth edition might've come out by, by the time um, Mirage came out. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if it did for sure. But Mirage comes out and the first thing I remember seeing, we went, we left school, middle school, actual middle school, went to the dugout, which was our, which was a baseball card store that carried magic cards. Bought a bunch of Mirage packs, went to my friend's house and opened them. I remember opening the card, Matenda Lion. Matenda Lion, green, 2-1. And if it attacks and is not blocked, the opponent can pay one blue mana to have it, to fog it, basically. But... Um, you know, you kind of ignore the text box. It's a two one for one. That that's what that was the best you could cope for. And the Savannah Lions in the case the dugout was twenty dollars. And I had pulled this card from a pack. Yeah, <laughs> Crash of Rhinos was also in that set. I remember that from my from the early packs. Just, and of course, uh, eight mana for a four for a eight, eight four, four with trample. Yep, that's going to replace all of our craw worms. Yeah, I mean, like, and Mirage, but, like, Mirage was also a set that, like, Ice Age, Ice Age and Ice Alliances were pretty good at, like, the world building. And I think I actually appreciate them more now that I'm not also learning the game while opening those packs, because I think that sort of took me out. But there was a couple other things about Ice Age still and Alliances that the art wasn't always as sort of, the art wasn't quite as its peak card to card. Yeah. Um and they were doing, they were still doing like multiple arts of the same card. So you'd like open like five Elvish Rangers. There's like the one where it's like a big yeah, oh, that's the worst. <laughs> yeah, um, they got, so it's like kind of kind of like a little embarrassed to have this thing, but it's also you know, she's hot, so whatever. Um, but anyway, but like Mirage did Mirage really the printing. It had a th- bit of a thicker, it had a, it had a bit more color saturation than than Ice Age and Alliances. Had. They upped they upped the uh, power and toughness numbers too. Say so yep, they, they made those thicker, made those bolder. But it was it was, and like it was very the art was on theme. It was very um, tied together, and Mirage I always say was the first set with magic card smell. That was the thing. I remember we did it. <laughs> What's that smell? That's the smell of new cards. And so, like, you know, I always have a soft spot for Mirage, even though it turned out a lot of the cards in it were terrible, even for middle school. But I, I thought of almost all of them when uh, I thought of a lot of them when I started, when I heard first heard about pre modern middle school that, like, oh, Mirage, I, I, w- I wish I'd gotten those cards back, you know? But um, 
yeah, it would it would be kind of cool. It was very it was a very resonant set, and there's there's like interesting things that happen. What unfulfilled desires is was the Mirage card that was considered the best card in the set. Um, Which one was that? Unfulfilled desires. What was that? one blue and a black, and then one pay one life, draw a card, and discard a card. Oh yeah, but so it had the like love the, song. Uh, of night and day yeah love song of night and day was in mirage like across a number of different um that was supposed cards. to be like the uh the new uh what's it called so fifth edition hadn't been printed yet because uh you couldn't play uh necropotence in tournaments at that time and that was supposed to be like the new necropotence everyone was people were paying 20 dollars for that card sure it was fine time 1996 who knows <laughs> people were paying I mean, 20 dollars for the- savannah lions all of the best cards from the set generally never, never uh, saw much play. Like Rathy Dragon saw play, but like the card that actually was big in Mirage was Hammer of Bowden. And that that was initially not that good until like people figured it out. Well, people didn't figure figure out how good recursion was. Yeah. We, there was not recursion like, like you see nowadays, you know. Um, uh, what was I going to say about Mirage? Oh, Lion's Eye Diamond. Yes, my friend's older brother opened a Lion's Eye Diamond. It immediately became a, a divider in his box. Folded it over. Oh, God. Divide cards in his box. Like this, I'm never going to use this. You discard your hand. Rough it's feed. a joke, and it's insulting because we were never going to get a Lotus. Those were like $200. Yeah, uh, 200 Easily. $200. In eighth grade. It's farther. It's 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 as far away now as it was then. Yeah, for I mean, totally uh, different reasons. To give you to give you an idea, it, what uh, I could probably after like three or four paychecks, I could get a Lotus. Um, I get paid every two weeks. Uh, as a kid, it would have taken me what twelve dollars every two weeks. What's that times two hundred? Yeah, <laughs> it would take me like a year. You're talking about you're talking about like fifteen twenty weeks to get. Yeah, and by yeah, then it goes up to three hundred. Yeah. Uh, no, you never. You we couldn't get. A, well, I don't know how much you make, but like <laughs> Lotus, you know, you're talking about like ten thousand dollars for a Lotus. Probably, yeah, it take so. it take me it take me a few a few paychecks. A few paychecks, and that's that's if I didn't pay mortgage or for my kids' insurance. So I, I like the idea of like eighth grade Nate just like looking at Lion's Eye Diamond and just going, "Wow, the disrespect!" It was, it was disrespectful. <laughs> Why did they just reprint Black Lotus? See, they could have. Re- we don't know. We had heard, we had read about the reserved list by that point. Chronicles had come out. We'd read about the reserved list, but maybe they were going to make. Maybe they would change their mind. There was a card. There was a card in there that was a twelve twelve for one mana. But you couldn't I get it to play. Yeah, I read that in in uh, Mirage. They were like, "There's going to be a zero cost artifact that produces three, three mana. mana. Any color. <laughs> there will be a." 12-12 that comes into play, or 12-12 for one mana, and they put all this, every one of the cards that they they spoiled like that was garbage. Yep. A tradition unlike any other when it comes to magic. <laughs> this the, the little teasers they give you that, that uh, Mark I, I have gives them you. Up, I have them up here somewhere. I wish I could. I'll, I'll have to try and post it on my Twitter. All right, Nate. It's come to, it's, it's come to that time. Okay. Where I'm going to name a card and see if you can tell me the text of that card. Okay. Nate, what does Island of Walk Walk do? Tap to reduce a flying creature's power to zero. Wow, one for one. This is a really good start. Surprise and scary. Uh, it comes into play with two depletion town counters tapped. You can remove a depletion counter and make blue blue. And you get two of them. 
Speaking of what uh, of uh, arena earlier, what does arena do? Three tap uh, target creature you control fights another target creature. Maybe it's target creature your opponent controls. It, it's it's you're you're very close. We would give it to you. We would go to the judges. And the judges would give it to you. It's a t- tap target creature you control, and then your opponent taps a creature they control of their choice. They deal with their they deal damage. Oh, the opponent the gets to choose. I always forget that. Yeah. Yeah. What does Grand Coliseum do? Uh, Grand Coliseum is tap for colorless, tap, pay three life for one man of any color. You're thinking of Tarnished Citadel. Oh, Grand Coliseum comes into play tapped and it taps for colorless and it's Cities of Brass otherwise. Yes, well okay. done. Yeah, yeah you, need, you just All need right. to get over Tarnished Citadel I there. Think, I think I've got it. Okay. Whimsy. Oh, I don't know what Whimsy does. I'm done on that one. Whimsy is uh, two blue. X, play X random fast effects. Wait, where's that from? It's from one of the Astro, it's one of the Astro cards from the uh, Chandelier set. Oh, that's not fair. I didn't have that. You you never played that? Oh, God, that's so good. That's too bad, though. I actually have seen people play Chandelier, and I've seen that kind of stuff. And it is is, is the thing I wish I had done. But It produces X random fast effects that are in your deck. So, like, if you cast it. And you only had like lightning bolt and like dark ritual <laughs> on your deck, you could like go off. Yeah, that should be legal in, in legacy. <laughs> you just have to figure out what the X random fast effects are. Well, I gotta say, I think we have to wrap it up. So yeah, I did it's about say, that time. Yep. I want I got a list of people that I want to mention who I should mention who have brought me joy throughout the podcast, besides you two, who again, for anyone who might have forgotten. These two are, you know, two of my closest friends still. This is there's no reflection on them for me leaving the podcast at all. Um, I'm gonna miss I'm gonna miss doing this for a lot of reasons, but I I know it's the right decision to walk away now, and I'm excited to see what they have, what they do without me, quite frankly. Um, and now that I've quit, I can say this is actually the only good legacy podcast, and all the other ones are terrible. Um, <laughs> hot take. <laughs> Uh, okay, I wanted to mention some people who over the past five years, which another thing I wanted to talk about, five years, man, I can't believe I've been doing this for five years. You know, it's like, that's like how, that's longer than I played Magic when I was a kid, I think, longer than I actually played. Seventh grade to like junior year of high school, maybe. I didn't play in college, four or five years. And we've been doing this for, just this for that long. Um... Well, uh, starting with our our good friend, Eric Virgo, who actually was here on Friday playing middle school games with me. And I had to tell him, I was like, because he had met, we had, we have a, we have a conversation on Facebook with Eric, the three of us and Eric. And he had mentioned, I had talked to you guys and said I was leaving, you know, six hours later, he's like, look at this. The next day he's at my house. I'm like, Hey, I got to tell you something. But Eric, you know, what a great friend uh, to the podcast and, and and a great supporter. Uh, Brian Anderson, um, uh, you know, from Utah, who was, you know, one of our first major financial supporter and a, yeah, and a great friend who was, when I, when I talk about how personally I take it when people quit, um, when he left and stopped playing, it, that hurt, it hurt quite a bit. And maybe resent was the coast, not him. He still plays enough and keeps up enough, but boy, when he, he now lives in Taiwan. I'm sure, I hope, I don't know if he'll hear this, but, um, uh, you know that he decided to walk away was something that I 
really resented Wizard's decisions after that. Um, Stu uh, here, who was on the show a few weeks ago, who runs the Texas group, um, Romancing the Stones, person who I met because he posted on the source that he thought we were a good podcast. And I messaged him and I was like, hey, you live in Austin. Like, I'm going to be moving there. It was around that same time. Um, our good friend, Matt Hackbert, uh, uh, who has been a longtime supporter, which mentions people who have been around from the start earlier, people who reached out, Corey Kozlowski, Grayson Parker, Sean Riggin, Dom Monfrey, Josh Pershbacher. Sorry if I'm screwing up any of your names. In fact, I can't even read what I wrote, so I'm actually going to... I'm actually going to go to the list I put on my phone. I didn't want to look at my phone during this, but I'm going to do it because I can't read my own handwriting. Um, <laughs> um, Mitch Travis, Josh Bingaman, uh, Drake Honus, Rob Jorgensen, a great friend of the cast and uh, a personal friend. Uh, Joe Dyer, who was on a couple weeks ago, finally. Joe really had supported us he has you know the biggest platform in legacy and the fact that he was such a great supporter uh i was really appreciated um cyrus corman gill if he's listening um another great friend of the cast and it really was i remember you know being so happy for him when uh when he won this tournament uh, i also remember meeting him for the first time in in california when he was like on his ascent and he was like, I watched your stream. And I, I was like, oh, gee. I watched your stream of your podcast. I was like, wow. And he's like, okay, I'm going to play the top eight. He won that tournament. Won that tournament. Uh, Roland, obviously, has been a great you know, friend of the cast and someone we'll work with going forward. Um, Travis Parsley from the Legacy Pit. Uh, I'm sorry we never had him on while I was on, but hopefully you guys can get him on when it gets closer to his tournament. Uh our friends from uh, the dead format and leaving a legacy ian tom uh jerry and and pat um there was always a little bit of an awkward semi-rivalry between the three of us but you know they are great friends and uh you know they've they've been great supporters of us as well throughout a lot of stuff uh and um from europe callum smith and uh, Phil Klein, uh, Phil, I only started talking to last year. He's in, he does the Austrian podcast in response. Obviously, Callum is well known. Um, I think that's the list of, of people who have, uh, who I really wanted to mention as being great supporters of us throughout the years while I was on and that I personally want to thank them. And as a group, because they will all, they, will, they would hate if I mentioned their names personally in front of all the legacy players that are, they're still playing legacy and enjoying it. Everyone in Atlanta from Team Tusk and all the hacks in the Carolinas. Um, again, like partners in being a sourpuss, you know, <laughs> and uh, really supporting me when I was when I was taking contrarian positions to everything else about Legacy. Um, and of course, again, Zach and Phil, thank you, you know, for doing this with me. And I really hope you have the best. And um, if I didn't mention you, it's not personal necessarily. It's not personal. <laughs> it could be personal though. But um, you know, it has been a thrill anytime someone's mentioned that what we've been doing here has has moved them in some way. And uh I um I hope that everyone continues to find excitement and joy playing magic. Um go Bills.
<laughs> yeah, uh, man, uh, I guess I guess this is the spot where Phil and I have to have to uh, si- sign off with you, man. Uh, it, it's wild to think that like five years ago you were you were just you were you were another guy who played Legacy at at Twenty Side Store that like we we you know, we we'd share rides with to to events and stuff like that. And now, like you know, you're yeah, you're one of my best friends, and it's uh, we'll get through it. And hey, uh, we, we, we we love you, bud. And whenever you uh, whenever we do get uh, at the we're at the same tournament and we get paired, I'm gonna look you dead in the eye and happily terminus your board. Yes, what you have done, <laughs> what you have done for real dollars. Yep. Yeah. Um. I guess that's it for this week. Have a great week, everyone.
have to do the recurring bit of you just being uh, a guest on the podcast every week. That would be just the guest. That would be Special like guest. Andy Kaufman level. That would be just an Andy Kaufman <laughs> level so bit. Good. That'd be so good. <laughs> no, every week is just yeah. my last week. Every, every week yeah. is my last show. Every, every time. Next, for the next 10 oh, shows and they all end that emotionally. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> At a certain point, people would be like, oh, this is just a recurring bit. And then the first episode, you're like, hey, guys, I can't be on this week. I got stuff to do. People are going to be like, wait, they were serious? <laughs> they were serious? <laughs>